Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, we're carrying on our Blessed uh, is Better series, and we started um, back uh, in uh, the uh, beginning of January, and uh, this is the eighth, uh, ninth, eighth message, I think, in the series. We've got to verse 9, and uh, so I'm going to read through um, from verse 1, and we're going to get through to verse 9. Um, so here we go. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse One, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these things if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but they will scatter you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing in everything you do, and you will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord, your God, will bless you in the land He is giving you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in His ways, the Lord will establish you as His holy people, as He swore He would do. You know, let me give you some perverse wisdom tonight. Um, You don't know what you don't know until you discover what you don't know. Isn't that true? We we spend our time in life, we, we go through life not knowing what we don't know. And we're happy about that. Um, there's a lot of things that we we're glad we don't know. The more you do know, the more your brain has to work. Uh, actually, I was listening on the... Uh, uh, radio, they were talking about brain function, um, talking about how um, the use of um, modern technology is tiring out the brain because um, you can, the brain cannot discern the difference between a big decision and a little decision. It, you know the difference, but the energy used to make a decision is exactly the same regardless of what kind of decision it is. It might be a decision to save your life or it might be a decision to do I check Facebook or not. It could be, it's the same decision, but the decision process in the brain, the, the energy use is exactly the same. And what they're saying is if you keep multitasking, you keep all this stuff going all the time, you literally tire yourself out. And, and you know, so there are some things in life, some maybe it's just better not to know. If you don't know, you don't have to think about it. But this is the thing. As we go through life, sometimes we wish we had known about different things. If we knew before we started, we would have probably made better decisions along the way. You know, um, sometimes, you know, when I go through um, church life and I think back over the 19 years we've been in ministry, I've been preaching for 30 years and in that time, um, I look back and I think about all the decisions I made and, and I wish I knew then what I know now. I would have done things differently. Uh, I would have made some different choices. But God never gives you that privilege. 
So there must be a reason why he doesn't tell you stuff. You've got to understand that there is a... There is, you, you wish you would just kind of jump start. You would kind of leap over that kind of learning process. If you already knew it, then, then maybe we can just get on a bit quicker. And, uh, but you know, God wants to do a work in our lives that He wants us to understand that He wants us to become established and to become established He's got to do something in our lives that works in us the principle of His kingdom so that we get rooted in Him. You know, uh, in less than 100 days, we have a uh, general election coming up. That's exciting, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> I remember um, listening to the news when they started the year and they on the news and I listened to the I listened to Radio Four and that a lot and and at the moment they said oh we've got this general election your heart sinks a bit because you think oh it's just it's going to be all these people and they're going to be saying all this stuff and and you just think oh please and uh, and you rather have something more interesting on and and uh, so but when I was thinking I was thinking about the fact that when we think about governments and we think about decisions that they're making and from a general public point of view we often think why don't they do a b c and d why don't they sort out this problem well the reason why they don't is because we don't know what they know we don't know what's going on that they now know and then there is something else that going on you at this moment in time you've got all these parties uh, that are making these amazing promises to, to try and entice us to vote for them. They're, they're, they're saying all these wonderful things that how much better they than they are than the other guy down the road. And, and they're making all these promises. And what I've just noticed is this, that in, in party politics is that, is that people say stuff prior to an election and then after the election, once, once they've won and they've got into government, they then spend time often trying to wriggle out or try and renegotiate what it was that they said they would do. Have you noticed that? They do that. Why did that? Why do they do that? Well, when they made the promise, they didn't know what they didn't know. But now they're in government, they do know, and, and they're having to renegotiate what they promised because what they promised isn't deliverable. That's just life, isn't it? And so we know all of that's going on, but we don't know what we... We don't know, but God wants us to walk in faith in Him that we might trust Him in the process that what we don't know. Basically, you can't run before you can walk. Our expectations in life are subject to the variables of things that are going on around us. Hindsight is cruel wisdom. And it's, it's one of those things that we look at it and we just begin to, to wonder what is it that I need to do for God to be fruitful in my life. You know, every new plant must first become established before it becomes fruitful. You see, until it's be- see, a plant gets sown into the ground and then it begins to grow and it begins to plant seed. We have in our back garden, we have a, a sycamore tree that um, sits on the side of the house and it's quite, it's quite big. It's got, a, it's got a tree house in it and a swing on it and it's a big tree and uh, it just casts off those helicopter seeds every autumn. 
and uh, how, many, how many when you were kids used to play with those you would get them and you would fling them at people and you'd watch them and you'd, or you'd lean out a high window and throw them down and, and uh, when we were in Australia we, we found some trees obviously not sycamore but they had exactly the same principle it's basically the seed pod with a helicopter like blade but they're like this big and so we just found these places really high places we could fling them off and just watch them fly and, and these sycamore tree seeds that we have at home they just grow anywhere they grow everywhere we have um, these sort of concrete patio concrete blocks and and they go between the blocks and every year every springtime I spend my time pulling out the trees that are growing (laughs) like this just hundreds of them all growing and so there's a point of growing a point of coming up into new life and then a point of establishment. Those seeds are not established and because they're not established, they're not producing any fruit. If fruitfulness is not their season, what their season is, is getting solid in the ground. It's important that they go down before they come out. We spend our life just wanting, we want the fruit in life, but God wants us established. And to get established, we have to spend, not think about what's going on out there, but just think about what's coming down here. I need to get the sea, I need to get the roots going down into the ground. And you know, we have to think about these things, because when we want to become established, we are trying to live our life with the situations that are going on around us and we sometimes we settle for what is going on now thinking God's blessed me. This morning I spoke um, after worship and I spoke about how we settle for the blessing now when God has got something greater for us later on. The seed that grows into the ground receives water, it's got soil, it's coming up, it's growing and we can think about the things that are happening us in the now and thinking well maybe that is it. Sometimes when we're going on in life, there are some things which we dreamt for, they haven't come about. So we renegotiate with God and we think, well, maybe that isn't, I just can't do that anymore. Sometimes we think about the things that we maybe once believed for and then we think, I'm not sure I want to go through that pain. I'm not sure I want to do that anymore. And so we kind of settle for something which is less. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you ever settle for something that's less just because you're kind of thinking, yeah, I I don't know. I'm not sure that is me. You know, in Genesis chapter 17, we get the story of Abraham. And Abraham is a hundred years old and God has come to talk to him about a prophecy spoken about him over him when he was 75. 25 years later, Abraham had a prophecy and for 25 years, nothing has happened. You know, And we get impatient. (laughs) 25 years. And in that time, Abraham has swung this way and that way, trying to work out where is the promise, where is the promise. He's received the promise. He's believed the promise, but he's not sure what to do with the promise. And he's tried to kind of work it out in his own right. But all of that time, what God wanted to do was to just settle in him, that he would produce the fruit. Now, Here we have Genesis 17 verse 15. It says, Then God said to Abraham, Regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai, for now her name will be called Sarah. 
and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of a hundred? He thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Now, what's going on? Abraham is thinking, I'm a hundred. I haven't been romantic for a while. (laughs) It's been a long time. It's been even longer with Sarah. (laughs) I suspect that Abraham and Sarah never actually had any kind of relationship after Ishmael was born. I suspect that once that had taken place, something died within the heart and this disappointment settled in because they had stepped out of the purposes of God for their life. You know, sometimes you step out of the purposes of God for your life and when you step out, what happens is you pull back because a disappointment settles in. And you no longer live in the place where you're supposed to be living. Abraham and Sarah were husband and wife, but they weren't really living, even though they were old, they could still live as husband and wife, but they kind of weren't living in that anymore, and probably weren't living in it because of what happened with Ishmael. They made a wrong decision, and that hurt from their decision settled within their lives and and caused them to come to this place. Are you with me now? And so Abraham has gotten to a point where he's gone, you know what, let's renegotiate the deal. Let's just settle for something which is not what you intended. I'm 100, Sarah's 90, I don't know whether I want to go through that anymore. I don't even know whether I even want to romance. I mean, you know, it's going to be, I'm going to have to like do a candlelit dinner. And I'm going to be a lot more than a dinner. She's 90 years of age. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to, there's a lot of negotiating here. I mean, I don't even know whether she's going to let me in the bedroom, let alone anything else. You know, so, so here is Abraham. He's thinking about how is it? And he laughs in disbelief because he's just thinking, I'm not sure I can make this thing work. But he already has a son in Ishmael. And so he decides he's going to renegotiate. And he's going to settle for a blessing that he's decided. You know what? God may have blessed you now. But for you to become established, you have to believe that he wants to do something greater in your life. The fruit that you're living in now is not the fruit of fruitfulness. It is the fruit of His grace that's keeping you going. And that keeping you going is simply there to get your roots deeper because He wants to do something more magnificent in you. He wants you to understand that you've got to get beyond the place where you are. And Abraham, he just didn't know how he was going to get beyond that place. You see, what happens is, We take our circumstances and we we create an explanation for what it is that we are going through. Sometimes when we are going through stuff and we try to reason with ourselves, with other people and with God, why it is that some of the things that we're struggling with are going on in our world. Abraham made a wrong decision. He has a son. Ishmael that God had not promised him. Are you with me here? 
Now he's having to create an explanation and justify that situation and he's having to create and he's trying to make it up in himself. You know what we often do? We create our own doctrine. We create our own theology. We decide why we're going through what we're going through. We think about it. We decide. We agree with ourselves. We know we're right. (laughs) And we make this... We make up our mind, oh, I'm going through this because, and it sounds perfectly reasonable with ourselves. Then what we do is we convince some of our friends that we must be right, and we get a gang of people that decide, this is what God is doing in my life. And then we have to use words like, for me, and we use the, t- the terminology for me because nobody else agrees with us. So we go, well, for me, I'm different. And we start to renegotiate in our world why we're not going to go on that journey of fruitfulness that God has intended for all of us to go on. We settle for the other thing. We settle for a place. You know what I want you to know? God does not want you to settle with sickness. He does not want you to um, settle with poverty or with lack. He doesn't want you to settle with that. Are you with me here? Now, I, I've spoken to some people recently and, and some people... And, and, and I want you to know that there are times when you struggle with the issues of sickness. There are times when you struggle with the issue of lack and with poverty. I want to tell you, there isn't anyone in this room who struggled with poverty like I've struggled with poverty. Alright? I want you to understand, I've known poverty beyond belief. Poverty. I grew up in poverty and I've had to wrestle with it. There isn't... I've struggled with sickness. I've had sickness for 21, this is the 21st year of of sickness of which I'm believing God for a healing. Do I settle with that and go, Jesus has given me this? He didn't give it to me, but He wants me to understand that in this there is an establishing. He wants me rooted down because there's a fruitfulness beyond it. He wants you to understand there is a fruitfulness beyond what you're going through. And to go through it, you must become established. To go through it, you must get to that point of establishment. The other side of your healing is your establishment. If you have sickness and you've wrestled with sickness for years, I want to tell you, Jesus Christ, He is your healer. He is your confident restorer. He is the one who makes things greater and better than they ever were before. I've spoken before about the principle of restoration. The Lord restores. But if you have ever looked at restoration. Andy over here is studying to be an architect and he would have probably seen a number of projects and and looked and probably imagined in his mind great projects of restoration. I guarantee if you got inside his brain, that restoration project that will be going on in his brain would be nothing like what it was. When they restored the restoration on, on castles, and these amazing places. Let me tell you something. They make them a heck of a lot better than they ever were in the first place. Because <laughs> they bring the modern world and they take these amazing old houses and they put heating in them. <laughs> and that's got to be better, number one. <laughs> I, I grew up in a house. How many people grew up in a house with no central heating? Yeah, there's still a few of us alive. And... Uh, <laughs> 
No such thing as central heating. Oh, when I was a child, I had to lick the road clean. We, um, you know, it's a quote from a movie from those of you. Know. And uh, so, I remember when I got... When, when the only time we ever had heating in the house, Dad used to go around with a paraffin stove. I don't know if you remember the paraffin stove. It was a deadly instrument. But you walk around this thing, it would be, you have a massive paraffin stove. You've just got um, paraffin, which is very flammable. A huge, great flame, big thing. And he would carry it around. The fire brigade used to say, do not carry it alight. Never made any difference in our house. And he would carry it. And if you were sick, you would get the paraffin stove in your bedroom. And that's the only time you ever got heating. In our bedroom, in the bedroom that we had, we had windows that were smashed because there were three boys in there and uh, a lot of life and activity. So the windows were broken and sellotaped back together. The walls were single brick walls and when it was got to winter like this weather, they would be frozen on the inside, not just the outside. (laughs) And we, (laughs) there was no heating in there. We just had a lot of blankets. (laughs) And uh, so we would, uh, we would go to bed and I would, we would, I was talking through with the, the kids there that we used to wear socks I would wear socks to bed and because I was the youngest of six and it was a big busy house we had uh, six kids and we had uh, two cats three dogs um, a number of guinea pigs I remember at one point we had 50 animals that we were looking after and a lot of this going I I managed to renegotiate with mum about things like washing and uh, basically she never noticed and I actually used to go from one month to the other month without removing my socks once (laughs) when you took your sock off it still looked like you had your sock on it was amazing and what I used to then have to do is I would then get a nail brush and I would get my foot in the sink and I would scrub off and I would literally have to scrub my foot until it was pink again and then I used to look and go oh look a clean foot and a dirty foot and in my mind I decided that it was better this way because how else would you know your feet were clean unless they were so obviously dirty It's amazing how you can think some stuff is okay, isn't it? And then, and then we were introduced to the real world. And I suddenly realised what bumpkins we were. But you know what happens in, in all of that, that kind of poverty, in all of those kind of things, we can decide for ourselves that that is what God has ordained for our life. That, and that is okay. Let me tell you something. It's okay in God to be in that, but it's not okay to settle in your heart that that is your lot. Yeah. It just isn't. It isn't okay regardless of whether. It doesn't matter if you're a millionaire. If you're a millionaire in this place, my name's Kevin, my bank account number. Now, if you're a millionaire in this place, I want it is not enough to settle for where you're at because God wants to do something significantly more. It doesn't matter whether you're healthy or whether you're sick. God wants to establish something within your life and to establish He has to get you to a place where you recognize that where you're at is simply a stepping stone to where he wants you to be. Abraham could not renegotiate the terms. In Psalm 40 it says this, 
I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. What we see here is that David is singing a song about being in despair and being in mud and mire. And he says, and he lifted me out. Can I tell you something? It's not enough to be lifted out. It's not enough just to be lifted out. This is what he wants. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. See, David wasn't just lifted out of a bad place. David was given a testimony. He was given a place of strength and authority. He was given something which is of great declaration to the world to say, this is what God has done for me. And I want you to understand that God is not just lifting you out of the mud and the mire. He's not just saving you. He is redeeming you. He is restoring you. He is making it better for you. But you have to understand there is a place where we are now and we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what we have to go through to get to that place. I don't know what I need to go through, but I'm prepared to go through it because I know that my God is my healer. I know that I am healed in Christ. If you carry sickness in your body, I want you to understand this. We've said this before. We were speaking this in the the Route 66. Never ever say you're not sick. That's one one of the mistakes that Christians try to say to try and deal with why they get sick. Alright? People, people get sick. Almost everybody gets sick. I think everybody gets sick at some point, right? And some people carry sickness that can't be healed. That's just, that's life. That's what goes, that's, that's what you get for being human. <laughs> it's not personal. But God has a favour and a grace that reaches out from heaven to all those who believe. To all those who believe His grace is significant for your life. And I want you to understand that to be established, He wants to do a work in you that is far greater. Abraham never became established until he was a hundred. Because that's when he became fruitful. Abraham's story, most of Abraham's story is before. All of the coming and the going, all of, the, all of that, that's, most of Abraham's story is before Isaac was born. But he wanted him to become established. And to become established, he had to step beyond the world where he was at. Abraham just couldn't see how God could do that. What? I'm a hundred. She's 90. I don't know how that works. He couldn't, he didn't know what he didn't know. But God knew something greater. I want you to understand God knows something greater than the circumstances, He knows something greater than what your brain can work out. You're trying to calculate how's this going to work. Well, I want you to understand you'll never work it out. You can't work it out because God wants to do something bigger than what you can get, than what you can 
understand. It says here of 1 Samuel 2, and this is the prayer of Hannah. And Hannah is a woman who is married to a wealthy man, and so she's blessed. But she doesn't have a son, and that puts this yearn, this breaking in her heart. She has a place of goodness in her life, but she hasn't become established because her, she hasn't become fruitful. And so she's breaking out. And then she receives this promise and God gives to her this son. And when she conceives, she prays his prayer. And this is what she says. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all of the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. See, in the world, there, the world has an order. The world's order often works like a, on a class system. How many of you... How many people here feel like they were born in a class system that was less than other people? Like a sort of a working class or even less than a working class. Some of you just feel like you were born. Well, that is not the order of God. He says he takes the poor and the needy from the garbage dump. He takes them out and he places them among the princes. Because he wants you to know that he has far more for your life than what you can see right now. And she begins to pray. She declares that there is an order. You see, Hannah wasn't prepared to exist. She knew she was born for more. She knew she was born to live a life not just of living, but to live in a place of establishment. When you become established, you become fruitful. When a tree becomes established, it becomes immovable. Are you with me here? When, when you become established in a job, in a workplace, you become someone in whom your boss depends, your colleagues trust, and it become, your workplace becomes secure. When you become established in your marriage, you get into a place of a pattern and a rhythm of life. Of you, There is an ease in the way you do life. You have children. You come established in your home life. When you get established in your home life, your home becomes a place of being settled. When couples first get married and they set up home together, it's like a, ooh, so this, and it's all kind of new, everything's new, and it's an exciting adventure. But the establishment, that place when everything becomes settled, is the place where the fruitfulness really begins to work. When God did a work in the beginning of the 20th century amongst the Pentecostal, he formed the Pentecostal church, the Pentecostal church, there was revivals coming. People started to get baptized in the Holy Spirit afresh. And there was a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. And so in, in, starting in Wales, and then going over to America, and then coming back and sweeping across the nations, churches starting to arise with a new life and a new power. These churches were growing. They weren't established. They were in seed form. But now 
churches across the, the Pentecostal and you can call we I would probably call us Pentecostal I'm not entirely sure why well because we just we speak in tongues and we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and so there is a move of the Holy Spirit which now the Pentecostal church is over 700 800 million people in the world today what has happened the church has gone like this there is this growth curve I want you to see see God it's not enough to just tick along in life and say well you know what I'll just settle I'll renegotiate with God and I'll just stick along because I'm happy with this God wants to establish you once you're established he can do something extraordinary in your life once he begins to get rooted so everything begins to break the church began to explode it begins to break out you see he needs you to begin to push into him and understand he needs you to understand this principle your lack your sickness your disease your trial your hardship is the weakness that he needs is the weakness that he needs to put this world in order now you're looking at me like, well, what did he just say? Isn't that just like a contradiction of everything else he just said? Let me read this to you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. By faith, these people overthrow kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouth of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. This is like something out of a Hollywood movie, isn't it? Their weakness was turned to strength. Their weakness was turned to strength. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. I want their weakness became their strength. I want you to know that your sickness will become your health. Your poverty will become your prosperity. Your brokenness will become your wholeness. That which you see as broken, God will restore in your life. Understand this. Don't settle for the brokenness and say, I'm just living this humble life with Jesus. Well, I'm just accepting. No, understand this. God wants you established. And when you become established, that which was broken becomes whole again. He's doing extraordinary work. I believe, as Cheryl said this morning, 2015 is a significant year. It's a significant year for this church. It becomes, it's the year. In this year, we've, we've entered into our 20th year. And we're now in that journey where God is taking us into this new season. I know, I have seen God do extraordinary things over the years. And I know that 2014, God spoke to me clearly in the November um, of 2014, that it was the end of a season of seven years. We've been through seven years uh, of a great growth within the life of the church from 2000 to 2007. From 2007 to 2014, we've seen uh, um, seven years of, of blessed plateau. <laughs> and it's just like we, we, we just grew and then we did that. And that's what we literally, it's what we've done for the last seven years. And while I was praying, I, I was praying and I'd never, I'd never thought about it. 
I just never thought about it. I'm praying and I heard the Holy Spirit say it's the end of seven years. 2014 is the end of seven years. End of seven years what? End of seven years what? Seven to seven years. 2007. I'm starting doing the, my maths going to the brain and then I, I met up with uh, Moses. Moses in the building. Moses, uh, some, many of you know Moses. He's part of, a, he's part of our church. He's got a um, wonderful family and he's, he's on team. He's been in the, hasn't been in the church very long, a few months. And I just met up with him for coffee and we're in the cafe and he goes to me and he says this. I'm, God speaks to me that morning. Just that morning when I was out with the dog. Jesus, he doesn't speak to me through the dog. I was out with him. That's not just. Yeah, yeah. Lord, what are you saying to me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's out with me. And then I get in. I get in that morning. I, do, I come. We go down into the cafe. We make a coffee. And Moses is there. And this is the first thing he says. He says, this is the end of seven years. First thing that comes out of it is no idea what he's saying. My jaw nearly hits the floor. And I knew at that moment that was the confirmation. God says that's the end. 2014 is the end of that season. 2015 is a new season. And I'm speaking it out now with great courage, knowing I don't know what's going to happen next. (laughs) But you see, we don't know. I don't know what I don't know. (laughs) I can't help that. I I mean, I can't help not knowing what I don't know. You you don't know what you don't know until you know what you don't know. You know you don't know it, but God wants to do something significant in this church. He is doing something significant in this house. He's doing something significant in your life. And if 2015 is in a critical year for this church, because you're in this house, because you are coming, maybe you just visit from time to time. I want you to know, by coming into this house, you participate in the blessings that flow out of this house. God wants to touch your life with significant growth and significant establishment. He wants to shift that thinking in your head to saying it's always going to be like this. It's always going to be like that. Don't agree with yourself stuff you made up by yourself. Let me finish on this. I've told this story maybe before. Many of you won't have heard. We used to have a neighbour. She believed in um, reincarnation and she had a a lot of sort of spiritual sort of ideas and and, uh, she, she sort of developed this spirituality which came from a number of different religions and things around the world and so I'm chatting she was fascinated because of her general kind of belief system um, she she was very keen on what we were doing in church and we used to have a lovely time with them great um, great uh, couple they've become very good friends and and uh, but I remember having this conversation with her I was just sort of chuckling away because she said well I believe and and she well I, I said but you just made it all up. <laughs> you decided by yourself what you believe. You can't invent your own truth. There is one truth. His name is Jesus Christ. Many people over many years, over the centuries, people far more clever than you and I have tried to recreate, reinvent truth. But they have come and they have gone. But Jesus Christ remains today, yesterday and forever. His truth is constant. His love is continuous. His grace is perfect and will continue to be poured out upon your life, over your soul and into your heart.
His grace wants to do a magnificent work because He has an agenda for your life that is not about you. It's about Him. And He wants you to understand how much He needs you to be a part of His plan. He doesn't just want to bless you so that you can go around and go, Ooh, I'm blessed. He wants you to know that you're blessed because His kingdom is a blessed place. He wants you to show off to the world what a great party we're having and they're all invited. He wants the world to see what hope and salvation really looks like and what He really can do in your life. I want you to have courage. It might take five years, ten years, twenty-five years. Some things take a lifetime of prayer to work through but God wants to establish it in you thanks for listening if you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times then don't forget to visit our website www.junctionchurch.com God bless